So I'd like to open today by um, reading to you the introduction to a sermon that I preached 26 years ago on Philippians uh, chapter 4. Um, this is a passage in which Paul is talking about thinking and he calls us to think about things that are true and noble and pure and right and lovely. If there's anything excellent or anything worthy about praise, think on these things. And um, so this is how I opened that sermon 26 years ago. I'm reading. History was made this week at the Woodruff home. Jason Daniel, all seven months and 16 pounds of him, became mobile. J-Bug, as he is affectionately called, has mastered a commando crawl that would make a Marine proud. He stays low to the ground in his tireless pursuit of electric sockets, the fireplace, plants, and everything else that we're trying to keep him away from. I don't know how long it's been since you've been around a seven-month-old, but it's quite fascinating to watch. And I find myself wondering, why is he doing that? What is he thinking about? Does he know that he's a person? How did he learn to recognize his name? Why does he laugh at the stupidest things? How does he process sights and sounds? What does he remember from day to day? And how does he think and what does he think about? I'm still reading. I'm not curious because I believe his thinking is in any sense profound or noble. Even with all my vanity as a dad, I can't help but notice that he's never met an object that he won't try to put in his mouth. I'm curious about his thinking in part because he is my son, but in part because I believe that who he is and who he will become is going to be determined almost entirely by how well he thinks and what he chooses to think about. End of quote. Well, Jason is now uh, uh, 26 plus years old. He's married. He's moved out. Um, he's advanced beyond the commando crawl. Uh, he does not try to put everything in his mouth any longer. Uh, I will confess that occasionally his thinking still mystifies me, but he's a good guy, so I'm mostly joking. My point is, I continue to believe that for him and for you and me, how we think and what we think about is shaping us in profound ways. So Paul thought so. Uh, that was what led him to write that in Philippians chapter 4 towards the end of that letter. And this, of course, is the, a point that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 12, which is where we have been for the last few weeks. This is where he commands us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this is the third message on this particular text. Uh, we started, I talked about heart and said it was command central and uh, noted that it can be a little bit uh, 
independent, talked about the, the elephant that's going to go where the elephant wants to go. And then last week, Anson talked about the soul, and he talked about this being a, sort of a quiet aspect of our nature. It's not fighting and demanding attention, and we're going to have to learn to slow down in order to listen to and attend to our soul. He talked about uh, rule of life and some of the habits and disciplines that, that we have developed for you to use personally or for you to use in your small group. And so today we pivot and we move on to the third aspect, loving God with our mind. Or to state this a little bit differently, we're going to think about thinking, this uh, process uh, of making sense of things, of taking into account uh, ideas and assumptions, of weighing them and unpacking them and ordering them um, this is what Blaise Pascal talked about as having an inner dialogue uh, with ourselves. So we're thinking about thinking, and uh, today I want to make a number of points about that. Number one, we are expected to think. Thinking is not just allowed, it is assumed. And I don't simply mean this uh, in the same way that worship is always directed. But, but, but that's a start, right? We're never told, you and I are never told to worship. We're always told to worship God. It's just understood that we're going to worship. That's the way that we've been made. In the same kind of way, we're never told to think. It's understood that, you know, there's always something playing, right? The screen never goes blank. Even when we're dreaming, there's things that are happening. We cannot think about absolutely nothing. So the Bible assumes that we are going to be thinking, and it then is going to direct what that thinking is going to be about. Um, we see this, by the way, in the way God made us. He, he fashioned us, Genesis 1, in his image, right, the Imago Dei. We were made in the image of God, and being made in the image of God, we're not, the, uh, we're not the, the biggest, we're not the fastest, we're not the strongest, we're not the loudest. What we are as part of his creation is we are, among other things, the smartest, right? We have a mind, we have a will, we have the ability to think, we have the ability to figure out and direct what we're going to think about. We also see this idea of thinking in the sense that God has revealed himself Principally, you know, God reveals himself most fully in his son, the son of God, Jesus, and that again. All that initial language in Hebrews chapter 1 that talks about Jesus as the exact representation of his being and the radiance of his glory and all of that. So, so the fullest revelation that we have of God in one sense is Jesus, God incarnate. But he also has revealed himself to us in this book. So we have, we have the word of God incarnate, we have the word of God written. And so this assumes, right, to be given a book assumes a mind because it's assuming that we're going to learn how to read. So we are expected and it is assumed that we are going to think. Point number two. Not only that, we are commanded to think. Right? We are given an order to think. 
the point actually comes up a lot. So Philippians chapter 4, we're seeing, you know, uh, we're, we're told to think about these things, the things that are pure and lovely and noble and right. Uh, we get this in Mark 12, the, the, the text for today, that we are to love God with our mind. We're being told that we need to think. We also see it uh, in uh, passages such as 2 Timothy 2, in which we are, uh, we are told that we are to study to present ourselves workmen approved unto God who have no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We're to study, okay, we're to think, we're to, we're to discipline our thoughts, we're to memorize, right? So that's there. We've got the passage in uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians actually 10, where we're told to hold every thought captive to Christ. And then we see that, that whole idea of, of being commanded to think shows up throughout the Old Testament. And I'm thinking principally uh, of the way Psalms, the, 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 the book of Psalms starts. So Psalm 1 is this um, statement. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of God, the law of the Lord, and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So we are commanded here to meditate, which is a specific kind of thinking. We are to very aggressively direct our thoughts. We are to channel our thoughts. Meditation is to slow down and to sort of let the, 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 the noise become uh, quiet, to let the mental uh, activity and mental noise sort of settle down so that we can direct our thoughts and think about God and think about his majesty and his mercy and his grace and his goodness and his power. Right? We are to meditate on God. We're to meditate on uh, the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord. So there are a, a number of other passages that, that just assume or command us to think they are sprinkled throughout the Bible. Um, I'll just note one more, and that is that when Jesus, in, in Mark 12, when Jesus was asked to summarize the law by this teacher of the law, you know, what, you know what's the most important things? And he says, okay, well, uh, he, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's quoting, in a sense, out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. However, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is a little bit different. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So when Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, he adds the idea of our mind. He is calling out this idea that we need to direct our thoughts, order our thoughts, you know, channel our thinking. So point number one, it is assumed that we're thinking, we are going to think. Point number two, we are commanded by God to think. Point number three, our thoughts matter. To God. I think uh, this sort of clearly follows the point number two that, that we're commanded to think, uh, but I'm, I'm, I want to double down on this because I want to, uh, I, I think what I'm trying to tell you about thinking is a little bit different than what you might be expecting. So, um, 
already noted, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that we're to hold every thought captive to Christ. In Matthew, Jesus makes it uh, clear when he does the, the Sermon on the Mount, when he gives us the, uh, his sort of his commentary on the Ten Commandments, he elevates that, right? So he goes to the Ten Commandments and says, you know, you've heard it said this and this and this, don't murder, you know, uh, don't commit adultery. But then he says, I tell you that if you are, right, if you're angry, you're already guilty of murder. I tell you that if you've looked at a person with lust, you're already guilty of adultery in your heart. And so he is, he is in doing that, he's pointing out that it's not just our actions that matter. Uh, it is our thoughts that matter to God as well. So um, Jesus makes it clear that our thoughts matter, that what we think about, not just what we say or do, matters to him. This is one of the points that, that drove the late Christopher Hitchens uh, crazy. Christopher Hitchens was the British um, wit and curmudgeon and author. Uh, I, I read him for a number of years because he was such, a, such an interesting thinker and writer, such a clever, uh, so clever with words. Uh, in the last 10 years of his life, he became uh, particularly angry uh, about faith, in particular the Christian faith. So he, he described himself not simply as an atheist, but as an anti-theist. So it's not just that he was didn't believe in God. He was aggressively against believing in God. He wrote the book, God is Not Great, and he was on the lecture tour, you know, debating lots of uh, Christians, pastors, uh, Christian intellectuals, and others, and uh, doing everything he could to sort of undermine the Christian faith. So uh, Hitchens was particularly incensed by this idea that our thoughts mattered, and, and he made this comparison. He said, you know, in North Korea, and this is North Korea when Kim Jong-il was still the president. His son is now the president, so this is a dated uh, quote. But uh, he said, you know, uh, for all the oppression in North Korea from uh, living under the regime of, of the, the North Korean Kim Jong-il uh, dynasty, he says, he still, even there, uh, they don't control your thoughts. They can't control your thoughts. And this idea that uh, God was demanding to control our thoughts. He just, Hitchens thought was just completely over the top and reprehensible. So let me just step back and note that uh, it's obvious from this that Hitchens understood <laughs> at one level that his thoughts were not necessarily pure and noble and good. He didn't, he didn't like the idea of somebody knowing what he was thinking which I can understand. I mean, we, we, we clean up better than we are inside, right? I mean, most people act sometimes as what's really inside them is, is even better and purer. I think when we come to faith, we realize, no, what's really inside me is a lot worse. I edit uh, my statements. I edit my thoughts. Um, um, I don't want people to know every stray thought that runs through my head. So Hitchens obviously understood some of that. Um, but, but beyond that, um, Hitchens also failed to understand the nature of God and his love and his kindness. So the idea that, that God already knew all those things about him and could still extend love and grace and mercy to him was not something that Hitchens could necessarily reconcile. And, uh, 
beyond even that, though, I want to say this. God cares about our thoughts. God cares about your thoughts. God cares about what you think about because God cares about you. So everything about you matters to God. Everything about me matters to God. It's not simply what we are doing. It's also what's going on inside our heart, inside our mind. And that leads actually to point number four. So that is, um, point number one is you know, we're expected to think. Point number two is we're commanded to think. Point number three is that our thoughts matter to God. And that's because, point number four, our thoughts matter to us. Our thoughts are shaping us. We are what we think about. In the same way that uh, a physical diet determines physical health, our mental diet determines our mental and our spiritual health. We are today what we were thinking about five years ago. The books that we read, the shows that we watch, the podcasts that we listen to, the news that we consume, the conversations that we're in, the things that we think, these things are what determine who we become. What we think about shapes our soul and our future. For better and for worse, we are what we think. And we are especially shaped by what we think about God. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves here. You are some amalgamation of all those things that I mentioned. You are some amalgamation of the books that you have read, the shows that you've watched, the, uh, the online activity that you have engaged in. You are some combination of the news you take in, the Bible that you study or not, the scripture that you memorize or not, the conversations you have in your small group <laughs> or not, the confession that you offer or not, all of those things that we are thinking about because we're thinking about them or we're thinking about because we're doing them, all of those things shape who we are. To the extent that your thoughts are right and good and true, we veer in one direction. To the extent that your thoughts are ugly and vile and base, you veer in another direction. It, you know, back in the 70s, there was this early computer lingo that said garbage in equals garbage out. Uh, that continues to be true. It's really that simple. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to hold every thought captive to Christ. But I am saying, in one sense, it's that simple. Romans 5, I was reading it uh, this morning, Romans 5, 6, and 7, that whole discussion of Paul about who we are and the new man, but the sinful man and, and all of that. We, 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 there are some times when there is a little civil war going on inside of us. But uh, all that means is that we have to understand the equation. While it's difficult, it's simple. Love God. Cultivate a love for God. Cultivate times of meditation and reflection on his nature and on his character and on his goodness and on his love and on the gift of his son. 
right? Cultivate and, and focus on the gospel. Cult, cultivate your heart for God and focus on the gospel. And that is going to consume you and take you in one direction. But if you are in, instead going to be consumed with anger or you're going to be consumed with uh, season eight of some Netflix show, if, if your heart is going to go in that direction, if your mind is going to go in that direction, then you are going to become a different person. It's, it's in one sense, it's just that simple. Entertain thoughts about whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise, and you go one way. Entertain thoughts, um, nurture thoughts that are petty and selfish and trite and ugly, lustful, vile, uh, and you are going to trend in another. So, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, uh, my aunt went in big for Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker and uh, performance coach. And uh, this was not all that surprising. Uh, she, my, my aunt and uncle lived in Texas, and they would come up once a year at Christmas time, and it seemed to me... Um, you know, throughout my childhood that she was always really big into something. You know, it could be needlepoint, it could be jigsaw puzzles, it could be a certain diet, it could be, it was all kinds of things, but she was always really big into something. And uh, what I remember about this is she was really, really big uh, into Tony Robbins and that this was uh, one of the first times that I actually saw my uncle engaged in the same thing. He, he tended not to to share her passion and excitement about whatever it is that she was into. But he was into uh, Tony Robbins. And so um, I, I listened to them talk about uh, Tony Robbins for a while. And, and what I heard felt a little bit like uh, Tony Robbins had positioned himself in competition with Jesus in, in the sense, not that Tony Robbins was claiming to be a savior, but that Tony Robbins was making promises that if you want peace of mind, you want joy, you want a life that works, you want, you know, you want all these things, then this is the path. And so I uh, went ahead and I, uh, I ordered uh, this course by Tony Robbins. And it was, uh, at the time, I, and I have not followed Tony Robbins, so I don't know if this is still like his staple or if he's, uh, if he'd be advocating something different. But at the time, what he was really big in was called neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, so neuro-brain linguistic words uh, programming. So it was all about how you talk to yourself. And um, now, as you can imagine, uh, I mean, Robbins is a pretty successful guy at what he does. He has some pretty interesting and clever things to say. And there were things that he said that I thought, oh, yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, he's talking about how we think. <laughs> he's, he's pointing out that what we think about and how we think is going to shape who we are. Now, there was a, a, a bunch of stuff that he said that I just thought, well, that's just, that's not, that's not true, or that's certainly not what I believe. Um, but he was just leveraging the idea that uh, where we direct our mind is going to determine who we become. So I have a, I have a, 
an article that I ripped out of uh, Christianity Today back in 1987. It's in my file on thinking. And I look at it from time to time, and it's, uh, it was written uh, by Dennis Kinlaw, who was then an editor. And the title of this piece, it was really quite short, is just sort of his column. It was called, it was, I says to myself, and says is S-E-Z, I says to myself, says I. And uh, he opened uh, this little piece by uh, talking about the inner dialogues that he engages in. And uh, that he's had a few very significant conversations with himself. And he talks about all the Monday morning quarterbacking that he engages in. And then he wrote, and now I'm, I'm reading. Um, the years have passed, and I have learned more and more about that inner dialogue. I know what a pain it can be when somebody, okay, he's talking about himself, when somebody inside wants to talk about the most distressing subjects at the most inappropriate times. He then says in parens, I sometimes think that the most threatening conversations come at three in the morning when any intelligent person uh, ought to be asleep. And to Prince, I also know about the inner voices perchant for introducing subject matter into that conversation that is, in a, that is totally inappropriate to the occasion. At times, there seems to be little appreciation of the holy. I have found a surprising thing, though, about that inner person. He is strangely unoriginal. He seems to be little more than an echo who shouts back only what he has heard me say or what I have permitted him to see or to hear. The result is that I see now the crucial importance of the care and feeding of my inner self. This is why God instructs us to take control of our thoughts. This is why Paul says... Hold every thought captive to Christ. This is why Paul writes that we should think about things that are, that are true and pure and right and lovely. Right? This is why Jesus directs us to love God with our mind. Not, not to just feel, right, but to, to love God with our mind. To order our loves. We become what we think about. Our mental diet, again, the books that we read, the, the shows that we watch, the podcasts, the news programs, all of those things, they shape who we become. What you are thinking about today, you become tomorrow. You need to hear that your thoughts need to be shaped by the word of God. You need to hear that we need the patterns of Bible study and meditation and scripture memory and confession to be part of our weekly and sometimes daily cadence in order to be headed down the right path. You need to hear that there are voices that you need to direct in your own heart. You need to hear that there is input that you need to put into your inner dialogue so that, that the, the things that are coming to mind are the things that will direct you down the right path. So let me pause here and note 
that there's all kinds of things that I could say and perhaps that I should say in a, in a talk, uh, a sermon about our thinking, in a sermon about our mind. Um, it's worth noting that many today would say that they do not have time to think. Uh, and I have shared that uh, two, three years ago, I had this um, epiphany is too big of a word, but just this growing conviction that uh, I had to be more diligent of owning my life, that who I was was uh, more important than what I did, and I had to, if I, if I had any, uh, any thought of being a, a pastor or some sort of spiritual leader, that I had to attend more to my own uh, heart and mind and soul. And so I added, among other things, uh, I added some things to my daily devotional time. So I've, I've done this before. This is a mason jar, and, and, uh, and, and it's, um, in my case, uh, I've, the water's from the Mississippi River because I grew up not that far from the Mississippi River, and the dirt is from there as well. And uh, I, I, I have one of these in my office at home, and I will occasionally shake it up and look at, at how muddy the water is and say, yes, that's sort of the state of my mind. That's the state of my soul right now. It is jumbled. It is frenetic. It, there's too much going on, and I just need to settle. And I've, so I've added uh, time in my morning routine to, uh, you know, in, in addition to the main things, prayer and, and Bible reading. And often I'll, you know, I'll just write out the Bible, just copy the Bible because it's a, it's a different way of approaching reading the Bible. But in addition to that, I've added, uh, I've added um, some minutes of silence. Not times of, of prayer. It's not prayer. It's not not prayer. It's just not prayer. I've got a list of things that I pray for and they, some things I obviously pray for every day. There's, then there's lists of people that I pray for on Monday, different than Tuesday and Wednesday and whatever. So I write things down that people want me to pray for. So I've, I've, got, I've got that and I've got other books that I read and devotion, devotional things that I'll look at. But I've added this, this just this absolute time of quiet and reflection to sort of let my heart, to let my mind just settle. And I have a piece of paper next to me, so when I think, oh my goodness, I've got to, you know, finish that newsletter, uh, I better write that down. I, I write those things down so I can just forget about them. And, uh, and I try to just listen and settle. So it's worth noting in a talk, uh, in a reflection, a sermon out of uh, Christ's call to love God with our mind. We've got to attend to our mind. And it, at this moment in history, there's all kinds of sideways noise and activity, all kinds of people trying to direct our thoughts. I also journal a little bit. I'm not a great journaler, but I journal a few paragraphs every, every uh, day to try and, and just remember what's going on and what am I thinking about, what am I worrying about, what am I praying for, because uh, I want to be able to sort of process how I'm thinking and uh, to see how that can be changed. Um, look, it's worth noting 
that uh, you have to make some time to think. It's worth noting that you have to care for your mind. It's worth noting that thinking well and ordering our loves is hard work. It's, it's not our default mode. Like, again, we're bent. Go back to the first part of this renewal series, right? We are highly valued, but we are deeply fallen and uh, left on our own in this broken world uh, with all the distractions, both spiritual uh, forces of darkness and then just, just the noise of life and all the people that want to sell us something and all the people that want to influence us and all the people that want us to click on this button. All of that, we, we are going to have to uh, choose to live a certain way so that we will think a certain way and we can cultivate uh, the love for God that we need. So I will just leave you with, with two things, and that is, uh, the, the, I think, the two most proactive things that you can do to work on loving God with your mind. Uh, one is to read the book uh, every day. Uh, and the second is to memorize Scripture. And um, if you're doing that, great. If not, it's, it's not hard. Write down, pick a verse, pick a passage that you want to memorize, write it on a three-by-five card or the back of an envelope, and write it out, you know, five times or ten times or a hundred times or carry it in your back pocket and look at it throughout the course of the day and just begin to store up God's Word in your heart. Those are the things that are going to help direct your thoughts. Heavenly Father, uh, it is our heart's desire when we are thinking well, when we are yielding uh, more fully to your spirit, it is our heart's desire that we would love you with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. And so right now I pray that, uh, that you would help us to better order our thinking and uh, to see it conform to uh, the patterns of Scripture, to see it be shaped by who you are, to, be it shape, to see it shaped by the gospel itself. Help us learn to think well, that we might uh, live well and become the people uh, that we want to be and that, that you want us to be. So we pray all this in the strong and certain name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, upon whom we depend. And we pray this in his name. Amen.